Hey y'all, welcome. This is Trent and I am, you are, and this is part of No Walls Worship. No Walls Worship is a thing that we do on the first and third Sundays of every month at 11 a.m. at Crystal Creek Distillery. It's part of Bee Creek United Methodist Church and uh, it's off-site. It's a mobile alternative worship experience. I was thinking about this earlier uh, today that when John and I first started dreaming about what this could be and trying to prop it up, there was probably some worry about you know what it should look like, what, what the experience should be, um, what you should include, what you shouldn't include, how I should talk, how he should play. And I think, I don't know that we came to a light bulb moment, but over time we began to realize that we are at our best when we are just worshiping the way we worship, right? And I don't mean to say that we didn't design this thing for you. Um, we, we just decided the only way to be real and authentic with it was let's do it the way that we want to do it and then invite people um, into that experience with us. Um, and that's that was a freeing realization. I think we got to, I don't know, maybe six months into it, three months into it, something, something along those lines. But we really like it, and um, we're happy with how it turned out, and who knows what the future may bring. Um, I'm going to just jump into it. I don't think I have anything else. Uh, Today is the second day of March, which seems uh, seems crazy. And then tomorrow would be March 3rd, which is the first Sunday of March. And like I said, that means it's a no walls Sunday. And uh, the, I'm going to read through the message, work through the message, and get myself ready for tomorrow. And also give you a flavor, if you don't come regular, uh, for what this thing's all about. All right. Um, I don't have a title this time. The title is I don't know. Uh, this happened to me once before. We found the title as we went. Um, the message is on the transfiguration. I'm in the miracles series. Uh, the transfiguration is a weird story. It's weird in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of detail in there that I don't really understand yet. Uh, so I think I'm going to just, just scratch the surface of one or two things that got me excited about it. Um, so that's it. Uh, no title. Uh, we're going to get right into it. I'm bringing tomorrow to No Walls a, a little bit of show and tell. And I've got it here with me right now. Uh, I'm holding this book. It's titled The Plant Power Way. It says, as a subtitle, Whole Food Plant-Based Recipes Plus Guidance for the Whole Family. It was written by Rich Roll and Julie Pyatt, his wife, Rich's wife, their husband and wife. Uh, Richard is the author of Finding Ultra. Uh, and there's a foreword by uh, Chief CNN Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Here's what it says on the back. There's this list of seven or eight different endorsements. And the one on the top left says... This beautiful collection of irresistible and creative recipes will motivate your whole family 
to live the plant power way, then the demand here is read this book and be inspired. There's an exclamation point. This endorsement is from Chris Carr, New York Times bestselling author of Crazy Sexy Kitchen. All right. There are all kinds of recipes in here. I'm thumbing through it right now. Uh, morning porridge. There is crumbled Walmart, Walmart, <laughs> crumbled walnut parmesan. There is, oh my gosh, a vegan lasagna. There is portobello mushroom burgers. There, it, it, the thread of it is plants, right? Um, eating healthy, uh, recovering through plants. A little bit about Rich. Rich Roll has a highly popular podcast. John turned me on to him. He's one of the most downloaded podcasts out there. Uh, and Rich and wa- Rich and his wife, as I said, wrote this book together. Rich's story is uh, one of recovery. Uh, he recovered from drug and alcohol addiction. He was in and out of jail, and he has now become not only this world class uh, podcaster, but also a world recognized ultra marathoner. He's known for having competed in this incredible endurance event called the Hawaii Ultraman, and he's done this event more than once. And you say ultramarathon and ultraman and stuff like that, and I don't know that it resonates, Uh, so you have to hear some of these stats. This is what the Ultraman is. It's a three-day race. Uh, on day one, you do a 6.2 mile swim, but not just any swim. It's a swim in the ocean. When you get out of the ocean, you do a 90 mile bike ride and it's uphill. You take a total climb of 6,000 feet up that 90 mile incline. Uh, that's, that's really high. So that's day one. <clears throat> day two, is a 171 mile bike ride up a volcanic range. Uh, and that one climbs uphill also another 4,000 feet. That's day two <laughs> of three days. Day three is a double marathon, a 52.4 mile run. And all of these events have strict minimum times. <clears throat> If you don't meet them, you're disqualified. And so this is Rich, the former drug addict, the former inmate in and out of prison, uh, <laughs> the ultra marathon man. And on his website, under his name, there's this simple tag, uh, tagline underneath his name. It says, a man transformed by plants. So that's Rich's story. His wife, Julie, Uh, She has always believed in the power of what she puts in her body, but when doctors diagnosed that she had this cyst inside her neck um, and they diagnosed it as incurable, uh, she doubled down on her plant-based diet. And through the plant-based diet, she says she completely cured the cyst and all the side effects and negative consequences it was having on her body. Uh, I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about their book and the plant power way. And I was so inspired uh, that I did the easy thing that (laughs) that is so easy to do. I clicked over on my phone onto the Amazon app and I ordered the book 
straight away. Thus, I have it here <laughs> to share with you. Um, guess how many recipes I've made out of this cookbook. Guess how many pages I've read. Seriously, I, I think the first time I picked it up after the day it was delivered was when I realized that it would make a good illustration for this talk. All right, another example. Uh, most of you know that I work for a big bank and nearly 10 years ago, some of our executives had made this decision that we needed to double down on some of our core banker behaviors. Basically, the soft skills that we use uh, to help customers with their financial needs. So someone in our training area created this program and they called it CE. That CE stood for Customer Experience CE90X. And it was a play on that old uh, P90X. I don't know if that's still around, but you know the the workout program. It's like 15 minutes a day and it promises you a shredded hot bod in 30 days or less or your money back. Um, but y'all, this wasn't our first radio, rodeo, this training program at the bank. We'd done these kind of training programs before. And so someone in a meeting somewhere raised their hand and said, hey, listen, if this thing doesn't have leader support, then it's not ever going to work. So someone said, okay. And they went out and got agreement for the leaders um, out in the field, the leaders of these banks to teach part of the classes themselves. If you could get them to teach the class themselves, then maybe they would be, they obviously would be more invested in it. Someone else went out and coordinated these follow-up memos, um, a series of memos that would go out periodically. They would go out by email to reinforce the messages from class just to keep dripping on folks that this is important, this is important, this is important. And then someone else went out and got one of our top, top executives to record a video uh, of themselves endorsing the class and its importance and that it wouldn't go away. This is a long-lasting strategy. Let's pay attention now. Then someone else raised their hand and they said, yeah, that's all great, but if we only train the middle managers, it might get lost in translation when they go and talk to their frontline managers about it. And then it might get lost when the frontline managers go talk to the frontline team. So someone went out and they not only created this class, but they timed and paced and sequenced a rollout of training for all 35,000 bankers across the United States, their managers, their associate managers, their leaders, anybody who could have any impact at all on the program was going to get this learning and this message that this was it. It was a coordinated effort. It was a massive multi-year undertaking, and I'm certain it costs a lot of dollars. And here we are, um, gosh, it's seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe maybe closer to seven years later. And I'm looking back on it and I'm looking back at the effort and I'm evaluating it this way. It didn't matter at all. <laughs> it didn't matter at all. Now, I don't want you to get sad. Uh, that sounds like a sad story. But I don't. Do I mean that it was the wrong thing to do? No. Do I think that the training was bad? No. There were beautiful moments. There were inspiring stories. There were motivational 
<laughs> motivational content that got people excited. There was amazing, right on target, meaningful con- content covered. And it was all with great intention. But y'all, getting to the punchline, here is the forward theme. The forward theme of these two stories that is the through line of this talk. Inspiration is not transformation. Inspiration is not transformation. Now let's back up. Um, Miracles, um, the miracle series I've been in. I want to talk to you about uh, these. I want to talk to you about these miracles. And I, I think what you've probably learned about me over time is that when I approach a Bible story, I want my words to feel practical. I want them to feel relatable. Um, and so, frankly, digging into the miracles for me was sort of a challenge because by the nature of a miracle story, the miracles are stories about <laughs> the supernatural happening. And the supernatural doesn't always feel practical. Jesus is doing things that defy the laws of physics. And so, y'all, it's it's kind of hard to talk about miracles without taking this path that says, well... God is God, so yeah, that can happen. <laughs> That's how that works. But the question I've been asking is is not how, um, but more why. Like, why did Jesus do the thing that he did? What impact did he have? <clears throat> what impact did he want to have on people? So the miracle that we're looking at today, it's the transfiguration. Jesus is transfiguration. Uh, on the top of a mountain. And this story is found in three of the four books about Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then some people argue that the whole book of John is about transfiguration. Um, But this is Luke. uh, I'm going to read through. It's Luke 29, 29, Luke 9, uh, verse 28 through 36. All right, this is verse 28. Uh, about a week after uh, he'd said these things, Jesus took Peter, John, and James. These were his friends, his close circle of followers. He took them with him, and he went up to a hill to pray. While Jesus was praying, his face changed. His face changed its appearance, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men there Two men were there talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in heavenly glory and talked with Jesus about the way in which he would soon fulfill God's purpose by dying in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were sound asleep, but then they woke up and saw Jesus' glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Elijah, Moses, Peter said to Jesus, Master, how good it is that we are here, exclamation point. We will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't really, (laughs) Peter did not really know what he was saying. While he was speaking, I think excitedly, a cloud appeared and covered them with its shadow, and the disciples were afraid 
as the cloud came over them. A voice said from the cloud, this is my son who I have chosen, listen to him, with an exclamation. When the voice stopped, there was Jesus all alone. The disciples kept quiet about all this, and they told no one at that time anything they had seen. All right, two, two things. Two things I want us to notice about this miracle. One, one or at least this is 1A, this miracle isn't a miracle. Well, let me, let me say, not all the lists that I Google had it listed as a miracle. Some did, but I'm counting it, and I hope you all are cool with that. Here's 1B. This miracle is, or this story, this transfiguration, it's out of pattern uh, for what we've been talking about. You know, miracles being the things that Jesus did to or for other people. Instead, what this is, was Jesus doing or having something done to himself and letting others watch. One way to look at this would be Jesus modeling something or providing an example of something. There was a reason why he brought his friends up with him for this experience. And then one C... I really just want us to I really just want us to feel the language here, the the moment here in this part where it says as Jesus was praying the appearance of his face started to change. It doesn't say to glow, to shine, to radiate love, to magnetize and start drawing in peaceful energy. I, I don't know. And then it says his clothes started turning white and shining. That's heavy language. It's specific enough to take us into the moment, but vague enough for each of us to be drawing our own pictures in our minds. One place my mind goes is to the people that I know that um, may or may not be traditionally beautiful, right? I, I hope that doesn't sound ugly, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is they aren't magazine pretty or, Kevin, or Calvin Klein handsome, but when you are around them, when you're face to face, you recognize them for more than their outward, outward appearance. Somehow what you see as you look at their eyes and look at their cheek structure and look at their hair and look at their, you know, nose, <laughs> you see them as beautiful spirits. You see them as beautiful souls. And I don't know if you know people like that, but I do. And it's always a little strange to see photographs of the person when you're separated, when you're not face-to-face, -face, when you're not in their energy field, because you think, hmm, there's something missing here. And this is where, y'all, I, th I think the transfiguration gets interesting. There's a lot of fun you can have 
studying the translations of some of these words in the Bible and you have Greek and Hebrew and sometimes Aramaic and you can play with the back and forth of what the root words are and what that mean and a lot of times in the Hebrew or the Greek it, it doesn't mean one thing in English it's multiple things and anyway one one way of breaking down this word for transfiguration is to change from the inside out to change from the inside out and an even more literal and almost flat, but somehow more inspiring would be reading it as making the outside to look like the inside. Put another way, the transfiguration of Jesus was his spirit overtaking his form to the extent that when you were face to face and watching him deep in prayer, you see his face change in a way that a photograph might never be able to capture. Here's the second thing I want us to see. I want you to see the excitement of Jesus's friends. They had been sleeping, and I really wonder if this meant physically, literally sleeping, or just, you know, not really awake. And in the moment they wake up and they see what is happening, they are so excited, they don't want to leave. And y'all, this is interesting too, right? If, if you say think that they were asleep and Jesus' face was starting to change what i what i then wonder is was jesus's face changing or was the way his friends were seeing his face change but at any rate they were sleeping and then in the moment they see what is happening they are so excited that they don't want to leave they want to set up tents. <laughs> Jesus, let's stay right here. And y'all, I, th I think you can relate to that. The Maybe it's the last day of vacation. Maybe it's a special moment with one of your small change, with one of your small children. And you think, gosh, don't grow up. <laughs> stay this size forever. And I feel it at times when one of John's songs is really inspiring and he finishes up and it's my turn to walk up there. And I don't, I don't want to walk up there. I don't want to break the moment. I just want to live in the space of that inspiration forever. Another translation of this passage is that Jesus's followers wanted to set up monuments. They said, Jesus, not let us set up tents, but let us set up three monuments to you and, I, and, Mo, and Moses and Elijah. They wanted to memorialize the moment. And Jesus said, no. <laughs> he said, no. We need to go back down the mountain. We have work to do. So let's hear that main thread again. Inspiration is not transformation. Ordering a book is not changing your diet. Launching a training class, no matter how amazing is not transforming a business culture. Having a moment of transfiguration on a mountain, no matter how glorious, 
no no matter who it is, is not the same as changing the world. In fact, Jesus told his friends, don't bother telling people what you have seen here until my work is done. And the work, my friends, sometimes is hard. Sometimes it's dirty and grimy. Sometimes we get it wrong. We fail and succeed and then we fail again and we get bruised again. Sometimes it's bloody. And sometimes we will even die before we get it all the way right. Let me close with this thought. We need inspiration. I'm not here to argue that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And when I think about that phrase and that light metaphorically, it makes me think about inspiration. I am the inspiration of the world. I am the motivation of the world. It makes me think of being an example, being a model. I am the example of the world. I am the specific model for the world. And then I think about what lights do. Our light doesn't illuminate the world so we can look at the light. The sun will burn your eyes if you stare at it. What the light does is the light illuminates the world so we can see each other, so we can see the world around us, so we can see the work of transformation that needs to be done. Ah, There's so much more here, Um, but this was fun. Thank you for sticking with me, and uh, I hope wherever you're going from here is a, a happy place. Take care.